please stand for the reading of God's word from Luke 15, verses 1 through 3, 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, and he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property and with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning and happy Easter. Uh, I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. Uh, Sometimes we can all feel like that about church, about God. Uh, Easter is not just meant to be Christians going through the motions. Uh, I'm in my pastoral robes today. We have our white liturgical banners up to remind us that Christianity is telling a different story. The world is telling one story about where life has been, where it's going, what it's about. And we, through the grace of God, are telling a very different story. And today is the pinnacle, the fulcrum of the difference of that story. That this is a moment in history that we mark out. This is not just nice, fuzzy, warm feelings about having a little bit better life, but about a life-changing historical event in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, taking on human flesh, coming, dying, and then breaking what has always been broken about our world, which is death itself. Rising from the dead to make a new reality for all those who just believe in him. And so if you are coming to church for the first time in a long time today, maybe for the first time ever, I am so glad that you're here. I wouldn't want you to be anywhere else. We are welcoming you in to the story that God is telling. And we've been looking at that story most recently through this passage in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. It's the parable of the prodigal sons, two sons. You might have heard it as the parable of the prodigal son, just the younger son, but it's really about both. We've been saying it's a story that's really about three characters. It's about Jesus. And we see this in verses 1 through 3. Jesus, this group called sinners and tax collectors, and another group called Pharisees. And they're all represented in this parable. Jesus as the character of the father, the sinners and tax collectors as the, the younger son, and then the Pharisees, the religious elites and the rule followers of their day by the older son. We've been looking at what this story that Jesus tells, a parable is a story that's meant to change your life. What does this story teach us about one core concept that is so integral to the way that we live our lives that if this goes wrong, you can almost say everything else in your life goes wrong, this concept of belonging to God. What does it really mean to belong to God? On what basis do you belong to God and why? That's essentially the question the Pharisees are asking in these first couple of verses when they're grumbling about who Jesus is willing to associate with. It's a story that Jesus tells about who belongs to God and why. And so we've been inhabiting this parable over the past few weeks and its picture of belonging so that we might know what does it really look like? What does it mean to belong to God? If you're in here and you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to come away with some at least small sense of what does it mean from the Christian point of view to belong to God? How does that happen? What does our relationship with God look like? Last week, we focused on the character of the older son, who I already said represents the the religious elite, the rule followers, the good people of their time. And we looked at how this older son was just as lost as the younger son, despite the fact that he kept all the rules, all the commands is what the text says. We looked at that so that we could understand the ways that that we and so many of us would identify as this older son rule-following type, 
the ways that we leave belonging with God, even when it looks like we're doing all the things that say we actually belong to Him. And we saw how the older son came home from the, the resentment and the anger that were underneath all that rule following through trusting that God really wants us home, even you, that He actually wants you home and through gratitude that we can come home just like the younger son did in this parable with absolutely nothing to show for ourselves. No accolades, no credits, not even a shirt on your back that you can come home to God, whether you're the younger son or the older son, on the exact same basis, which is having nothing in your hands to bring. As the hymn says, simply to the cross I cling. But today we're coming to what I would say is the climax of this parable, though we've been going through the story and we know it well. We're focusing not on the younger son, not on the older son, but on the father, on the character that Jesus uses to portray himself so that we can see the invitation of this text not just to be a better younger son type, not just to be a better older son type, older, younger daughter, older, younger son, but to become the father to grow up, to not stay as children, or if we are children, to see what we will grow up to become, to grow beyond being just the rebellious younger son or the resentful older son. I must say right now, and this includes myself, we all need to grow. There is no one in this room that is done growing as a Christian, whether you have gray hair or whether you are a baby and have no hair, right? Or maybe those two are the same. Uh, but in any case, we all have so much room to grow beyond these things, to become those who become like the Father and who have the ability not just to receive welcome, but to actually extend the welcome of God to others. So we're going to explore the character of the father, continuing to pull in references from this book, Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen, which is a rich reflection on this parable and on a painting by Rembrandt of this parable as we go today. We're going to do that by focusing on three things. First, the way the father loves selflessly in verses 20, 28, and 31. Second, we'll look at the way the father loves joyfully in verses 23 and 24, I'm sorry, 22 and 23, and then finally becoming the Father also in verses 22 and 23. So the way the Father loves selflessly, joyfully, and how we are called and even enabled to become the Father. Before we get into these things, would you bow your heads and pray with me as we ask God to fill up our hearts as He opens His Word to us this morning. Father, we have already been at prayer with you many times this morning. We know that you hear our prayers. We know that you know what's going on in our world, and not just the world writ large, but also in the world of our lives, in the story that's brought each and every one of us into this exact seat this morning. You know each and every breath, each and every hour, all the twists and turns, the pains, the heartaches, the disappointments, the mistakes and failures that have led us to this very moment. You have been following us 
all the way. And maybe we haven't felt your shadow or the love of your affection, God. Maybe we haven't felt it in a while. Maybe we know it intimately now and we desire to know it more deeply. But whatever it is, God, we need you. We need more of you. We need you alive in us. We don't need dead rules and a paradigm to follow. We need the living God resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit, living, breathing, animating us now that we might be raised up from a death of separation from you to a life of fullness with you in the resurrection. So would you come, Lord Jesus, fill these hearts with your power, that in some way we walked in here dead, might we walk out of here resurrected, more fully alive than we have been in some time? Would you do that by your power? Because we know you can. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, please have those open, or if you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you, or feel free to use an app on your phone. We're going to go back through the text a little bit together this morning. So let's look first here at the way that the Father loves selflessly. The Father shows both of His sons, who are equally lost, we have said, amazing selfless love in this parable. Now, we probably recognize that instinctively. We can sense that, but we may not as easily see what this selfless love reveals to us about what it looks like to live out real belonging. What does it mean to know real belonging, to, to extend that to one another, like Jesus extended belonging in the Gospels and extends belonging to us now? But we can see that if we pay a little closer attention to what the father does. If, if you look at verse 20, the father sees the younger son. It says, while he is still far off, he's not close, right? He is not just sort of turned around and his son is there. He recognizes him from a distance. This son, who if you go back through the text, essentially wished his father dead, killed him essentially for his money because he wants the inheritance, and inheritance only comes when someone is dead. This is a son who has disrespected his father, who has distanced himself from his father, who has cut himself off from not just his father, from this whole family, from this whole community. He has brought shame onto this family, onto their whole way of life. And this father sees that son way off in the distance for the first time in who knows how long. If you think about if that was you, if you were that parent in that moment, you're that person, and you see that person who has done that to you and your family and your people coming, what do you feel? It is probably not a warm, rosy, bubbly feeling of joy and acceptance. You might feel anger, resentment, maybe fear. What's this person going to do now? But what does this father feel? The text says he feels compassion. It's a plot twist. This is not how you would expect a father in that time, in that culture, to respond to seeing someone, particularly a son, who had treated him like this. It is a great surprise that we see the compassion of a father 
directed at a son like this. And surprising that he doesn't just feel compassion. He's not just moved in his heart. His body moves out towards this son. He does something unthinkable for a patriarch at this time. We mentioned a few weeks back, he picks up his robes. They were no less roby than this. You don't really go running. You don't go for a jog when you're looking like this. He picks up his robes and he runs out to see his son. Patriarchs did not run at that time. It would be no less seemly to be running down the street like this then than it was now, let alone for a patriarch, a figure of dignity and authority and honor. And yet, that's what this father does when he sees that son. He looks with eyes of compassion on this younger son, and he runs out to him. He disregards what that would mean for him socially. He stops thinking about what everyone might think about him to sprint to seeing this son who had been gone for all the wrong reasons. He disregards all that that would have meant to just have interaction with this son who had so deeply shamed and hurt him, but this is what he feels for this son. He doesn't see him as a failure, as a fool, as a financial waste of time. He sees him most truly, most purely, just as his son. Do you know God sees you that way? He sees past all those things. If you are just darkening the door of a church for the first time in a long time this morning, you feel like you are just rounding the hill of coming home to God's house, maybe for the first time ever. Do you know that the way that God sees you this morning is not with skepticism, not with arms crossed, not a what are you doing here, but that, that, that God is sprinting out to meet you just as you are. And yet the amazing thing about this father is not just that he treats the runaway son like that, but that he is equally able, verse 28, to go out in love to the resentful, arms-crossed older son, who is also, as we talked about, offering a deep disrespect to his father by refusing to go in and eat with him in a culture where your relationships, your standing with one another, were so often defined and made meaningful in the context of sharing a meal. He's refusing to obey his father. And how does the father deal with this deep disrespect? Does he just send a servant out to talk to him? No, he could have done that. Does he just ignore him and say, whatever, I don't care about you. You're going to be like that? Stay out there. Parents, some of us know that feeling. Uh, he doesn't do that. He goes out and says he entreats, he pleads with this son who is just resentful and grumpy and angry. Very few of us desire, have a passion in our hearts to walk out to someone we know who is resentful and grumpy and angry. You avoid that. You take a different route. You would sit in traffic for an hour rather than sit in the car with them. You go around the situation, but the father goes directly towards it. He tells the son who just told him how much he doesn't care about him, he tells him just how much he cares about him, how he's always on his heart. And he shows him by telling him to be grateful that this younger son has come home, welcomed back, that he can come home on exactly, as we said, the same terms. 
empty-handed, without having kept all the rules. The father sees him as a son as well, sees past his resentment to see him as someone that needs welcome too. If you're sitting here this morning feeling resentful and angry with God, resentful and angry towards others, you got your arms crossed spiritually, do you know that God sees you equally with these eyes of a father that means to come out and see you not for what you're feeling, not for what you've been through, not for how you're acting towards him, but just because he sees you as a child made in his image whom he dearly loves. You know that God sees you that way this morning. In this, we see a father who is willing to do something amazing now and then, who is willing to eat the cost of his children's failures, to eat the cost of their disrespect, to go out and welcome them home. How does he do something like that? This gets us a little bit into what the Father reveals about belonging, but the way that the Father of this parable does that is through having something that many of us don't feel that we have. It's having a a sense of His own value, worth, belonging that is not dependent on what anyone else can do to Him or say about Him. He is beyond a belonging that is dependent on circumstances. His children are all about circumstances. His youngest son wants different circumstances. His older son wants different circumstances. They are ruled and governed by the circumstances around their lives. This father is able to step outside of the crushing disrespect and pain and disconnection that these children have brought. He steps outside of that disconnection because he has a belonging. He has an identity. He has a worth and value that is not dependent on the circumstances circumstances around him. He is in a place of spiritual maturity, of fatherhood, motherhood. He's in a place that doesn't need welcome, but a place that is able to give welcome. If the father wasn't sure of himself, wasn't sure on what basis he belonged, on what basis he was valuable and worthy, dignified, honorable, we would expect him to maybe run out to his son and give him a slap, to engage in something that would be equally wrong, whether verbally or or physically, to to engage in some way that would say, I'm going to take back from you out of the anger that I have what's happened to me, that he would be wrong to do that, that he would seek payback and he would say, you could come back in, but you've got to pay it all first. You're going to stay out there and you're going to live out on that little hill until we're done. If he didn't know a value beyond circumstances, we would expect him to be out for payback, for respect, for answers, but the father doesn't ask him a single question. He doesn't say, where have you been? He doesn't say, where's all the money? He doesn't say, why do you do that? He has moved beyond circumstances. He is not there to get something from them. He is there to give something to them no matter where they have been. 
He has more to give even if they have taken much already. That's the picture Jesus is trying to give you of himself, that he has more to give if you have taken much already, if others have taken much already. This is the place of spiritual maturity, the place of God. Henry Nouwen says it's a place beyond rejection and loneliness. Yes, even beyond affirmation, it is a fatherhood that takes its name from the heavenly father and partakes in divine solitude, meaning it's free from circumstances telling it how much it's worth or how good life is. He is not in search of belonging. He is the source of belonging. And that's why the Father is a picture of God, of Jesus, of the Creator who cares for His creatures because He is the source of all things. He is beyond any need. Christianity is not about you fulfilling some need of God. God does not need you to keep the Ten Commandments. That isn't a need for Him. God doesn't need you to keep all the rules. That's not why He made you. He didn't make you to fulfill something in Him. He made you to share something of His with you. He doesn't need something from you. He is not here to take. He is here to give. That's what the cross of Good Friday shows us, that God isn't here to get something from you, but to give something to you. Jesus dies to himself on the cross the same way this father of the parable dies to himself by going out to the younger son, dies to his pride by going out to the older son, disregarding the shame and the pain and the disrespect they were bringing up, pushing past the cost of that to get to them. Jesus likewise dies to himself, dies for us to put our estrangement to him in sin where we were looking for love in all the wrong places, places where it has to be bought or achieved, where it can't be received, Jesus does that, putting sin to death in his body there, swallowing death up for us with his life so that we who were dead in sin, who were estranged, who were far off either in our resentment or our running away, might be brought back into him because he doesn't need something from you. He doesn't need something from you. He is here to give something to you. Amen? He's here to eat the cost of our running away. Do you know a God who is not only able but willing to eat the cost of all your mistakes? Nothing else does that. No other system does that. It holds you in a place of you make everything right or you get everything wrong. Or you only get incrementally more as you do incrementally better. Christianity is not about that. It is about the God who gives you everything and who requires that all you bring is your nothing. Welcoming us home just by grace. That's what he does for runaways, for resentful older sons demanding recognition for all the hard work we've put in. And I want to tell you, secondly, that he does that joyfully. 
joyfully. Verses 23 and 32 point this out for us. In God, we have a Father who rejoices over what was lost, and He rejoices right away. Verse 23, the Father says, let's celebrate the return of my lost son. That's His first response. He doesn't, again, get into questions, to causes. He says, let's celebrate. He is joyful. He is happy to see this son. Verse 32, the father goes out to the older son and doesn't just say, I want to do this. He says, we had to celebrate. It was right to rejoice and celebrate his return. For God, the return of prodigal sons and daughters requires rejoicing in his house. It is a means of joy for him to see you in here if you have had a bad week, if you've had a bad month. If you've had a bad year or decades, it is a joy for him to see you near him. Finding you when you are lost, eating the cost of that, is not a begrudging price that he pays. He's not, ah, here's Dave again. Why is he back? That's not how it is. He loves to pay the price to welcome you home. He's joyful about it. He can't get the money out of his pocket fast enough to pay the price to have you in and celebrate that you are back, that you are back. Hear that this morning, that God is joyful to have you back. Do you know that? Or do you still feel like there's a God who is waiting with arms crossed, wondering why you are here? That's not the God of Easter. Our God is ready. He is geared up. He is excited to throw a lavish, expensive party over the return, not of hundreds or thousands of people, but over one. He wants to give his best for one. Henry Nouwen says, God rejoices when just one repentant sinner returns. To us, he says, statistically, one is not very interesting. He says, but for God, numbers never seem to matter. From God's perspective, he says, one hidden act of repentance, one little gesture of selfless love, one moment of true forgiveness is all that is needed to bring God from His throne to run to His returning son or daughter and to fill the heavens with sounds of divine joy. You may not feel like you are worth God's celebrating, but God deeply disagrees, deeply feels that you, for all your brokenness, are so worth celebrating. Maybe all your life you have heard from someone that you are not really worth celebrating, that you're not going to amount to much, that you better just stop or you better change. But have you heard from the God who says you are so worth celebrating? This is the kind of love the Father has, the kind of love Jesus has, great rejoicing where numbers don't matter. And the smallest signs of you coming back to Him, the most distant image of you still far away from God, even just maybe slightly turning over your shoulder, sends Him running in the streets to meet you. This is the God of the cross, 
the God of the resurrection, for whom redemption, eating the entire cost of all of your sin from your first day to your last, is not something that he does as a chore, but something that he does as a joy. I want you to hear through this text the joy of God over you this morning. This is the Father that this passage shows us. This is the God that Jesus is trying to reveal to us through this character. And as we turn to this final point, becoming the Father, in verses 22 and 23, seeing all this, that the Father of this parable is one of the most amazing characters in all of Scripture, which is fitting because He represents God. And we can't help, when we hear this, to want to be like Him. We might feel most naturally like the younger son character. We might feel most naturally like the older son character, but the character you want to be is like the father. You want to be friends with him. You want to be known by him. You want to be around him. You want to do what he does. But the way he loves feels, if I'm honest, probably if you're honest, very difficult, right? If not impossible. We... I, so often, are not ready to love like this. We're not ready to live like that. We are not ready to be the spiritually mature person in the room. And I don't mean in a holier-than-thou kind of way, but in a loving kind of way. As Nowen says, we're much more comfortable being either the rebellious younger son or the angry, judgmental older son. We know how to play those parts. We play them instinctively. It's as if we've been on Broadway performing the role eight times a week for the last 30 years. We don't even have to think about the lines. They just come to us. We are the younger son. We are the older son. We can sing it out. But we're called to play a new character, and that is like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. I play this character. This is who I am. I don't know how to play another character. It is difficult. It's challenging, and yet we still also feel enticed to become that character, to grow up, to grow beyond being children, to being the spiritual parent. So how do we do that? If the text is undoubtedly calling us to that, how do we actually grow up into that? We do that the same way, the exact same way that the younger son does in this passage, by experiencing a resurrection from the Father. Did you see that? That he experiences a resurrection in this text in verses 22 and 23. The young man that he was when he left home earlier in the text, starting in verse 11, that wanted it his way, that was running away, that just wanted money, that was in rebellion and flagrant rejection of his father and their whole way of life, that young man is no more. That proud young man died in the far country, crushed under the weight of a love and acceptance that only comes to you as long as you can pay for it. And he could no longer pay for it and found himself facing either actual physical death or dying to who he had become to go home. The father says as much in verses 24 and 32. He says, this son of mine was dead, was lost. He had cut himself off from us, but he comes back in this passage to life. How does that happen? 
Is it through his own doing? We talked a little bit about this before, but we said when we talked about the younger son returning a few weeks ago that, that his coming back to life, his coming back into relationship, back into belonging with God, does not happen because he wakes himself up and feels remorse. That's not what makes him a son again. That's very important. Don't get that wrong. The father recognizes that as important, but it doesn't make him a son again. His speech in verses 20 and 21, if you looked at that, suggests that he believes their relationship is dead. He says, I don't deserve to be called your son anymore. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He thinks he can only be a servant now, not a son. That biologically they may still be connected, but relationally they are dead. He doesn't plan to be a son again. He is not what makes himself a son. He doesn't give himself belonging. So what does raise him up from this dead relationship? It's the father. What he does. The father makes him a son again. And even more than a son, he makes him just like the father. Look at these verses, 22 and 23. What does the father tell the servants, his workers, to do? He says, bring the best robe and put it on him. That would have been the father's robe, tells them to dress him, even though he came home destitute in the formal attire of their day. That's what they're to dress him in. That's what these best robes would have been, like a formal gown or a designer tuxedo for the ball. He comes home in rags, and the father says, put him in the best suit off the rack. He tells them to bring a ring and to put it on his finger, and that would have been likely a signet ring, a ring of authority saying, I bear the authority of my father and this house, that he has the standing and rights now as his father does, as someone who belongs to his father, who is like his father. The father says also to put shoes on his feet. Now notice the word there. He doesn't say give him shoes. He says, put shoes on his feet. As one commentator points out, that would have required the servants to touch his feet. That was not something you did for a peer. That was something that was demeaning in that culture to deal with the feet of another. Remember, you're not walking around in nice shoes. You're not walking around in roads. You're walking around in filthy, muddy, dirty streets and sandals. Touching the feet of someone else is not a joy, right? He is commanding them to do what only those who have a lower social standing do for those of a higher social standing. He is telling them, treat him who has come home looking worse than you like you treat me. He makes him a son who has all the trappings of the father. And in that, he makes him someone able to give like the Father has given. He is clothed in the status, the authority, the dignity of the Father, all these things given to him by the Father. It's not the Son's repentance or some program of penance and making it right. It is the pure gift of the Father of this status, this, this recognition, this acceptance, this homecoming, forgiving all his debts and showering him with all this favor that makes this son someone who is now able to give like this father. 
It's the Father who resurrects the Son to become like Him. And this is what Jesus does for all who come to Him like the younger Son who come just empty-handed and vulnerable with no shirt on your back, with no shoes on your feet, acknowledging your need and your mistakes. This is how Jesus treats you. He clothes you with the flowing splendor of His righteousness, His record, His obedience. He gives you a signet ring to put on your finger to bear the gracious and powerful authority of God Most High. He treats you as dignified and valuable, worth having others honor you. He resurrects you from estrangement to him in sin, dead to ever knowing what belonging really looks like or how you receive that so that you might not just have that, but that so you also might be those who extend the gracious power of belonging and invitation of knowing God just by gift through the resurrecting grace of his power to others. So that you, each and every one of you, might grow up, whether you are young or old, might continue to grow up to become spiritual mothers and fathers made in his likeness. Not meaning that you have to have physical children at all. Jesus never had children, and yet he is very clearly the spiritual father of this parable. We are all called, no matter our family status or our station, to be those who grow up, who are invited by the resurrecting gift of God to us us to be spiritual mothers and fathers, those who know our belonging and who are able to give belonging. We are invited to leave the ways of the younger son and the older son and become this character of the father. to be someone who not only knows belonging and welcome, but who gets to be someone who gives it away. Don't you want that? Wouldn't it be nice to be someone who knows belonging that deeply, who knows how Jesus has received you, who is able to stand and weather the storm, to not be bound by circumstances and just sit as one who knows their belonging and who is able to offer belonging to others. How do we do that more practically? How do we take hold of this invitation as I come to a close here? I want to encourage you to do two more practical things this week, to receive this joyful welcome of God and to have the eyes of welcome of the Father. I want to encourage you to to really receive Jesus' welcome as a pure gift. That is what empowers you to move towards others as a spiritual father or mother. I have been trying this out this week. This is what I have come to. There are many other things that I had as an application ready to go today. They were not working, right? In family, in friends, driving, they were not working, right? What helps you actually become the Father is to receive purely as a gift the welcome of God the Father, not because I kept all the rules this week, not because I got all the things right, not because I treated everyone perfectly, but just because God is gracious to me, because I am accepted on the same basis as the younger son, that I come home for free. After your mistakes, 
this past week, after your mistakes this coming week, I want you to receive God's welcome of you purely as a gift, that there is nothing more for you to do because of what Jesus has done. All you have to do is receive his welcome of you. He is joyful to run out to you after this week, after next week. He is joyful to run out to you and to bring you home still. Knowing that kind of welcome Knowing that God's doors are still wide open to you is what lets you start to move out to others in this kind of welcome, which is purely as a gift. So don't try to muscle your way into becoming the spiritual father or mother. Receive the status that God keeps lavishing on you. I want you to keep remembering this week as you feel, uh, as you feel ugly, as you feel unclean, as you feel far from God, that God is constantly, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if you have put your faith in Him, constantly putting His best robe on you. He is constantly putting that ring of authority on your finger. He is constantly treating you as someone worthy of value and honor. Even if you are coming home as the younger son, that is exactly how he is treating you. Receive this week the joyful, loving welcome of God the Father. And secondly, as those who receive welcome, be those who grow into having the Father's eyes of welcome because the Father runs out. He sees from a distance the younger son and runs out to him. He sees the older son standing at a distance and he goes out to him. He sees them with eyes of self-forgetfulness and humility, eyes that are looking not what can you do for me, but at what can I do for you? Eyes that look for relationship beyond circumstance. As Mike prayed in the prayer this morning, I was thinking about this is what our world is like. It is not relationship beyond circumstance. It is relationship only by circumstance. Only when we fully agree. Only when you see it my way. Only when we can do this exactly the same way can we have relationship. God says, no. I want you. I see you as more valuable than the acceptance that you can give me, than the agreement that you can give me. I want you. May we have those same eyes that look at one another and say, by the grace of God, because of the welcome that I have received, I want you on that same basis. Now, there may be situations where we have some refuse that welcome of ours or we have to limit our interactions with others because they have made relationship unsafe. But by the Father's welcome of you, you can keep the eyes of the character of the Father, which are always scanning the horizon to see if it might be possible for some distant son to be coming home, for some estranged daughter to be coming back we can keep the mindset, the gaze that is always looking for just that slightest return, for that opportunity to celebrate, for the resurrection of relationship. That's when you see the world differently. When we're not looking around at people as rivals in our way, as competitors, but as others in need of the same welcome that I am able to find just by grace.
May the Lord give us such resurrection eyes this week. Would you pray with me? We'd like to leave a little space for you to engage with God in your heart about these things, maybe thanking him for the selfless, joyful love that he has for you. Maybe confessing the ways that that you've been selfish and joyless in your love this week. Maybe just asking God to give you those resurrection eyes, to, to open your hands to receive the welcome you just don't want to take. Let's pray for a few moments. God, thank you that you invite us to call you Father. That you are the Father of this parable, that this is how you welcome us. Would you hear these prayers of these hearts and would you welcome them? In your name we pray, amen.